Welcome to the Christian History Podcast, Chapter 8, Episode 57. Last week, I covered several of the lesser-known judges in the book with the same name, culminating with the events leading up to Samson's birth. If you missed that episode, you should really go back and give it a listen. This week, I'm pressing forward in the summary of Judges, beginning with Samson's adult life. And with that, let's get started. Before getting to the very strong judge, a quick refresher on Nazarites. I covered them in depth nearly three years ago in Volume 1, Chapter 5, Episode 20, released in January 2020. In the text, the requirements to be a Nazarite are explained in number 6. As an adult, they voluntarily took a vow to abstain from certain unclean things. Drinks like all wine and anything else made from the grapevine, things such as cream of tartar, grapeseed oil, and the like. Though alcohol that is not from grapes was allowed. They could not come into contact with corpses, even close family members, and probably the most well-known requirement, they could not cut their hair, which of course is integral to Samson's story. The person taking the vow would follow these requirements for a designated time, a period named in their specific vow. After that time had passed, the person would immerse in a ritual bath. Then, three offerings were made, a lamb as a burnt offering, a ewe as a sin offering, and a ram as a peace offering. The ceremony also involved a basket of unleavened bread, grain, and drink offerings, with these accompanying the ram as a peace offering. As part of the ceremony, the person taking the vow would shave their head in the outer courtyard of the temple and then place the hair on the same fire as the peace offering. Of course, this applies to adults that chose to become a Nazarite and only after the time period in their vow was up. Samson was born into it, but like the angel of the Lord told his parents, all that was expected from those that willingly chose to become an adherent All of that was expected from Samson. Which gets me back to the narrative. Like I covered last week in Judges, Judges 13 wraps up with Samson's birth. Chapter 14 begins well in the future, when he was an adult, leaving out everything that had happened in the meantime. The natural way to fill in the blank is that his parents raised him according to the instructions they'd been given. 14 kicks off with Samson hiking down to Timnah, where he sees a Philistine woman, which almost seems like a non-event. He heads back home, and when he gets there, tells his parents, I saw a Philistine woman at Timnah. Now get her for me as a wife. Already, this is seeming like a rather odd conversation. His parents answer, Is there not a woman among your kin, or among all our people, that you must go and take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? Simpson did not relent, telling his father, Get her for me, because she pleases me. Then, a peek behind the curtain. 
we're told that his parents did not know that this was from God, for the Almighty was seeking a pretext to act against the Philistines. The phrasing also indicating that this was written at some point in the future. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. Recall that in the last chapter, we were told that the Israelites would be subservient to the Philistines for 40 years. And since God was choosing to get involved, that clock must have been winding down. Keep in mind, though, that Judges 13 doesn't say that Samson will deliver Israel, but instead that he will begin to deliver Israel from the Philistines. Samson traveled with his parents to Timnah's vineyards. When he got there, a young lion roared at him, suddenly. Remember, at that time, the now-extinct Barbary lions lived in the area. Samson was going to have nothing of the beast. The text tells us that the Spirit of the Lord rushed on him, and he tore the lion apart barehanded, as one might tear apart a baby goat. Not that I imagine tearing one of those apart is neither easy nor pleasant. All of this apparently occurring when his parents weren't around, as he didn't relay the story to them. He had to tell it to someone, though. Otherwise, we wouldn't be reading about it. After the lion-ripping incident, Samson went down and talked to the woman, and she still pleased him. After some time had passed, Samson returned to Tilna. It couldn't have been long, though, as the body of the lion was where he had left it. Bees had built a hive in the lion's carcass, complete with honeycomb. Not letting the opportunity pass him by, he scraped out some of the honey from the carcass with his hands, enough to eat as he traveled further. He would run into his parents and share the honey with them, but he didn't tell them where it came from. So far, this story is unfolding in evolvingly strange directions. Not to forget, when the Israelites were promised, post-Exodus, a land of milk and honey, I highly doubt this is what they had in mind. According to the text, Samson's father went down to the woman, and Samson celebrated with a feast there, as the young men were accustomed to. Back in the text, when the people from the village of Telmah saw Samson, they brought 30 companions to be with him. Samson tells his new friends, Let me now put a riddle to you. If you can explain it to me within seven days of the feast, I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 festal garments. But if you cannot explain it to me, then you will give me the same clothing. They ask to hear his riddle, accepting the bet. He tells them, Out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. But for three days they could not explain the riddle. Four days to go. On the fourth day, the thirty young men approached Samson's new wife. And remember, she's a Philistine. They say to her, Coach your husband to explain this riddle to us, or we will burn you and your father's house. Have you invited us here to impoverish us? She takes their threat seriously, and instead of getting Samson in the loop about what's going on, she takes a different tact. She goes to him, weeping and saying, You hate me. You do not really love me. You have asked a riddle of my people, 
but you have not explained it to me. He replied, Look, I have not told my father or my mother. Why should I tell you? So much for the leaving and cleaving. She would weep before him the seven days that their feast lasted. And because she nagged him, yes, that word is used in the translation. On the seventh day, he told her. Then she explained the riddle to her people. On the seventh day, before the sun set, the men of the town said to him, What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. Did he just call his new bride a heifer? Those were different days. After this, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson, and he traveled down to Ashkelon. When he got there, he killed thirty men of the town, took their spoil, and gave the festal garments, apparently spoils, he gave those to those who had explained the riddle. So, in order to live up to his end of the bet, he killed thirty other men, took their clothing, and gave it back to those who'd threatened his wife to get an answer. What an error. After this, he left Ashkelon angry and headed back to his father's house. Before he did, he had to avenge the betrayal of his new wife. He did so by giving her to the Philistine who'd been the best man at his wedding. And remember, Samson is thought of as the hero in the story, but not perfect. And that's chapter 13. Chapter 14 begins at some point later, though we're not told how much later. What the text actually says is, After a while, at the time of the wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife, bringing along a baby goat. The wheat harvest was between mid-May and mid-June, and given the way it was phrased in the text, it seems like it was the next harvest, so less than a year later, perhaps much shorter. His wife was living in her father's house. When Samson got there, he told his father-in-law, I want to go into my wife's room. But her father would not allow him to go in, telling him, I was sure you had rejected her, so I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister prettier than she? Why not take her instead? Samson reacts, saying, This time, when I do mischief to the Philistines, I will be without blame. Whatever that means, maybe he was feeling guilty for the last time when he killed 30 of them, then stole their clothing, just to live up to his end of a bet. Yet still, he's seeking revenge, but thinking he's blameless. Samson caught 30 foxes and took some torches. These were likely red foxes, native to the region. He then turned the foxes tail to tail, putting a torch between each. He lit the torches, letting the foxes go into the Philistines' grain fields. This not only burned up the forthcoming harvest, but also the vineyards and olive groves. Some of the Philistines asked, Who has done this? Others answered, Samson the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken Samson's wife and given her to his companion. The angry Philistines went to his father-in-law's house and set it ablaze, 
burning him and his daughter, who was still Sampson's wife. At least it seems she was, but then again, she had been abandoned by Sampson, then given away by her father. Also, recall this is what the Philistines threatened to do if she didn't spill the secret to the bee in the lion riddle. A bit ironic. This revenge angered Sampson, who promised his own revenge, telling them, If this is what you do, I swear I will not stop until I have taken revenge on you. He struck them down hip and thigh with great slaughter. After the massacre, Sampson went down and stayed in the cleft of the rock at Edom. The Philistines weren't just going to sit back and let his rampage slide. Instead, they encamped in Judah, making a raid on Lehi. The men of Judah said, Why have you come down against us? The Philistines answered, We have come up to bind Samson, to do to him as he did to us. After this, 3,000 Judean men traveled down to the cleft of the rock at Edom, telling Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then have you done to us? He replied, As they did to me, so I have done to them. The Judean men answered, We have come to arrest you, so that we may turn you over to the Philistines. Samson answered them, Swear to me that you yourselves will not attack me. They said to him, We will only bind you and give you to their hands. We will not kill you. So they tied him up with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. One thing to keep in mind is that Samson was not Judean, but a Danite, brothers, but really part of a very extended family. In the period when everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. As the Judeans escorting Samson came to Lehi, the Philistines ran out towards them shouting, Just then, and again, the Spirit of the Lord rushed on Samson, so much that the ropes binding his arms were described as becoming like flax that has caught fire, with them melting off his hands. Samson happens upon a donkey's fresh jawbone. Using it as a weapon, he kills a thousand men, presumably all Philistine. When he was done, he threw out the jawbone. From that point forward, the location of the carnage was called Ramith Lehi, meaning the hill of the jawbone. During the fight, apparently Samson worked up a great thirst. He called on God. You have granted this great victory by the hand of your servant. Am I now to die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? With this, God split open a hollow place at Lehi, and water came from it, a place that became known as Enochur, meaning the spirit of the one who called, said to be near Lehi to this day. It was at this point that Samson officially became a judge, holding the role for the next 20 years. And that's how chapter 15 wraps up. But it's not quite the end of Samson's story, though it does give me a good stopping point for this episode. Join me next week when I'll work through the remainder. You don't want to miss it. Comments and questions can be sent to comments at christianhistorypodcast.com. 
As always, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at ChristianHistoryPodcast.com. This week, help others to find the podcast by leaving a positive review on iTunes or wherever you get the podcast from. You can find the Facebook page by searching the phrase Christian History Podcast as three separate words. Once there, be sure to like the page so that it's easier to find later. Finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, subscribe so you get the episodes as soon as they are released and you don't miss out. Thanks for listening and have a great week.